So mates, plenty to talk about on this Tuesday, February 7th, including the president's State of the Union address and what it means for black America, plus the guests he's invited and are expected to be in attendance. Welcome to Fox Souls Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. Today is National Black HIV AIDS Day, and we have two leading experts here to discuss its status and impact on the black community, plus find out what happened in black history and who Chris Brown is apologizing <laughs> to now. It's the stories that impact our people. All right, bringing you our news, our views, and our voice topping our black report for today. All eyes on Washington as President Biden prepares for his State of the Union address for the second time in his presidency in front of a Republican controlled house. The president is expected to call for unity ahead of a potential battle over the federal budget, though the White House says a large part of the speech will highlight his economic successes, including the job market and lower gas prices. President Biden's address is expected to serve as a preview to a likely 2024 re-election uh, bid, that is, but uh, comes as he faces leadership concerns amid high inflation and growing tensions overseas. A new Associated Press poll finds just a quarter of adults believe the country is headed in the right direction. And Courtney, the Republican Party will get its chance to respond to President Biden's address when Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders delivers the GOP's rebuttal. But it's the guests who are expected to be in attendance that's also making headlines. Here are the guests that lawmakers and the White House have invited to attend the State of the Union. The parents of Tyree Nichols, the 29-year-old man who died after being beaten by Memphis police during a traffic stop. Uh, will be, they'll be in attendance sitting in the First Lady's box. Uh, also, Representative Cory Bush of Missouri has invited Michael Brown Sr., the father of a teenager who was shot and killed by a police officer in Missouri in 2014. And Deanna Branch, a Milwaukee woman who has advocated for awareness about toxic lead pipes after her son suffered from lead poisoning as a result of unsafe drinking water. Representative Gwen Moore of Wisconsin has invited professional basketball player Sterling Brown to be her State of the Union guest to highlight the police's treatment of black Americans. Brown was tased by police in 2018 while playing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm -hmm. Now, quite a guest list. Uh, quite a guest list, uh, Courtney, and uh, a serious attempt to really humanize an issue that this president uh, has talked about a great deal, mm -hmm. policing in America. You might remember just last spring, he signed in an executive order, but that only uh, moved the, the issue forward in terms of providing um, more rules of the road for federal law enforcement officials, not state and local folks. And so a lot of black folks are going to be tuned into a number of issues mm -hmm. in the State of the Union uh, address. But I think heavy on our mind is mm -hmm. policing in America. Mm -hmm. Talk is cheap. You know, what are we going to do about it? And, you know, we're listening for changes that would apply not just to federal law enforcement, but that would incentivize state and local police to follow suit. Yeah. And speaking of policing, you know, right around this time, when it is State of the Union uh, time, a lot of the uh, political pundits and the publications and organizations kind of come up with their own um, take, if you will, on the president's report card and, and political who kind of, uh, they kind of stay in the middle uh, of things, in the middle of the aisle, says in regards to uh, policing that the president needs improvement and that uh, even though the uh, Biden administration made a historic investment, uh, investments in uh, community violence intervention programs, uh, 
which fund many of the uh, police officers, the, the talk of police reform kind of has died out. And it's been such a heavy push um, to get uh, those from the other side of the aisle to see and understand the concerns and continue to push some of those, some of those policies. So they said he needs improvement in that area. And then, of course, you know, a fallout from the policing. You're talking about gun control, uh, another big issue uh, that they're saying uh, needs improvement as well as he has not really been able to make too much headway uh, with uh, those policies as well. So folks will definitely be tuning in tonight to see what he has to say about areas that he could probably improve on. Yeah, and one area that I think is also really important, uh, particularly to the black community, is qualified immunity. It, mm. it would, uh, it makes it too hard right now to sue uh, police officers for civil rights violations. And so there are uh, a lot of activists outside of Washington and there's, there's, there's a great deal of support in Congress, but just not enough support to push it over the finish line. And so when people think of police reform, what might meaningful police reform look like? It's gonna do something about quality, qualified immunity um, if it's to be meaningful to folks in our community. Definitely something everybody uh, is gonna have their eyes on tonight, that State of the Union address, only the second one, and we will definitely be watching in as well. Let's move on here as black leaders in Miami are apologizing to Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis after one of its members called him a racist. Pierre Rutledge, chair of the Miami-Dade Black Affairs Advisory Board, issued a statement on behalf of his board that apologized to DeSantis for a comment made at their meeting from a member who said, quote, our governor is a racist. Now, the accusations of racism against DeSantis came as the board criticized the governor's rejection of an African-American history advanced placement course due to content about Black Lives Matter and queer issues. The college board removed aspects of the course that were opposed by DeSantis. Now that course will be reevaluated by the Florida Department of Education to determine if it is appropriate for schools and Dr. Nicola uh, Corte, this is con continues to be a hot button for you. What do you first and foremost think about the apology? Because a lot of folks would agree with that board member who said what he said. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree. I think a lot of folks that are tuned in here would agree. And, you know, it seems like uh, uh, Mr. Rutledge, uh, who's the Miami-Dade's Black Affairs Advisory Board member, uh, he is really speaking to an audience of one. And I think that audience of one is Governor Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. uh, the gall to apologize to a governor who has made, um, you know, made it an issue to go after black history, uh, who has been a proponent of the Stop Woke Act, you know, who has uh, been, a been a proponent of this uh, don't say gay bill. I mean, this is a governor who has peddled in bigotry and f of all people for this brother to apologize to of all people, Governor Ron DeSantis, you know, for, uh, being a racist, for peddling in racist behavior, peddling in white supremacy, uh, you know, I think it's a crying shame. So there, I said the quiet part out loud. Tell us how you really feel. That's how I really feel. Uh, now moving on to Maryland, where the FBI has two people in custody, one being a nationally known neo-Nazi leader, before they could launch an attack on Baltimore's power grid. Officials say 27-year-old Brandon Russell met Sarah Clint Daniel online while serving earlier uh, an earlier prison sentence uh, included in the documents outlining the case against Russell. Federal prosecutors provided this picture they believe to be Clint Daniel dressed in tactical gear containing a swastika, carrying a rifle and wearing a pistol. 
Federal prosecutors believe Russell collaborated with her in the plot. You know, this is just another example of the white supremacy violence that black folks have to contend with every single day. This was a very organized effort to go after a number of power grids uh, that, that surround Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Why did they pick out Baltimore, which happens to be a majority black city? Uh, you know, they, they had Baltimore in their, cross, their crosshairs. And, you know, some people may wonder why. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have to wonder and, why. And to add to even more evil, to, to the evil act that it already is, they wanted to do it in the winter months, so once they took down that, that plant, if you will, uh, people would suffer more because of the harsh winter conditions. So that just tells you where these people's minds are, and it's just completely evil, uh, and, I, and, and it is my hope that they are uh, um, prosecuted to the fullest extent yeah. of the law. All right, let's move on to Nashville, Tennessee. There's a controversial bill that would uh, rename part of a road honoring the late civil rights pioneer and politician John Lewis. Now, in July 2021, the city officially dedicated the road after civil rights pioneer Representative John Lewis, who spent his college years at American Baptist College and Fisk University. But there's a new effort to rename a portion of the street after former President Donald Trump. Representative Paul Shirell sponsored the bill that would rename a quarter mile stretch of the street that includes the Cordell Hall Legislative Office building. Uh, that was uh, Trump's only connection to the road uh, where he gave an address uh, at a municipal auditorium back in 2017, just a few months after he was elected to the presidency. Uh, they can't find no other road. Uh, they can't find no other road in all of Tennessee. You can't find another road to name after whoever you want to name so this after. It's so blatant and clear as to what's it happening is such, here. It's so disrespectful. It's Let's call it what it is, mm -hmm. right? And we know what this is about. This is an attempt to erase part of the legacy of uh, Representative John Lewis. And I don't think the people of Tennessee are going to go for this. I don't think so either. And, you know, uh, Representative uh, Lewis ruffled a lot of feathers all the way until the end. And, uh, you know, a lot of those folks are still living in that legacy and remember that in that legacy um, of causing some good trouble, if you will. And this is actually uh, just a slap mm -hmm. in the face and really a disgrace. Like yeah. you said, plenty of other roads to, to consider. Leave this one alone. And Representative Lewis is an American hero, mm. an American hero. Uh, and, you know, to, to, to desecrate the legacy of an American hero like this, all Americans should be offended by this. And that's, that's all I'm gonna say about that. Now today is National Black HIV AIDS Day, which was first observed in 1999. This observance is a day to acknowledge how HIV disproportionately affects black people. And joining us now is a leading advocate who addresses health inequities in the black community. Uh, a friend I've known, Tony Wayford for years. He's president of the I Choose Life Health and Wellness Center. Welcome to Fox Souls Black Report, Tony. Thank you. I've known you since my hair was black. Bro. <laughs> uh -oh. Your hair was black. And your skin has always been black. <laughs> Tony, can you can you tell us a little bit about your journey and uh, you know, exactly you know how you became involved in advocating uh, for the health of the black community? Well, I became involved, as you know, a number of years ago when I discovered what was HIV was doing to the black community. And especially what it was doing, what really prompted me, because I found out what was happening to black women. And being a father of a daughter, you know, sometimes we can assign 
certain issues to other people. And then I realized that I had a dog in the fight and I had to realize, do I like a certain group of black people or all black people? Mm-hmm. And I went to a several meetings and I saw what was going on. And I saw that it was the meetings were basically being dominated by white gay men. And there were really no strong black voices in the room. And so I decided, no, it's time for me to step off the bench and get involved, brother. We love it. We love it. Now, your organization, the I Choose Life Health and Wellness Center, uh, has been working in partnership with a lot of institutions over the years, like the CDC uh, and the National Institutes uh, of Health. Uh, Tony, you know, tell us um, uh, about these partnerships. Uh, tell us more about the partnerships with them. What are you doing with them right now? Well, we for fortune, we were working on a project called Act Against AIDS Leadership Initiative, where we partner with CDC and NIH, where we go around the country and we do education forms to address HIV, AIDS in the black community, not only just in terms of men who have sex with other men, but IDU, intravenous drug use. And, and, and it's really beautiful because what I like about it is that we go in these communities and we speak a language that the people understand. We don't necessarily go, sing from the hymnals given to us because we realize that our people are unique and sometimes people confuse and, and we need a different approach and sometimes people confuse different with deficient we're not deficient we just have a different way of, of how we have to address all these different disease states as it relates to our people and the way we do it is evidence-based predicated on us being black yeah you know so tony i remember years ago uh when president obama was working on developing a national hiv aid strategy can you highlight some significant achievements and programs uh, that, that not only that you've established to address, the, address these health disparities, but in the past decade, you know, what, what progress has been made uh, that we can really celebrate as, as getting us a little bit closer to, to closing the gap and, and disrupting these disparities? I think we can celebrate the fact that we're still here because we're disproportionately impacted and affected. I think that, that being a perfect honest in the court a lot, Dr. Cortez, I think one of the things that, that was disappointing to me in that strategy is that it didn't it didn't include any resources. Because, you know, any any strategy that doesn't have any resource connected to it is just a good idea. But fortunately, we were able to create a, uh, I think we've made tremendous progress. I think the sad part is we have to keep talking about it because what happens is uh, when, it, when the pandemic becomes in control in certain communities, all of a sudden we act like it no longer exists and it's no longer a problem. But it's still a problem for us as a people. And we have to actually still remember that and address it as such. And again, I th- and, and even with the, the, the PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, I think that has helped us tremendously in terms of how we deal with the pandemic and actually helping, helping reduce the spread of HIV in our community. It's made a tremendous difference. So I'm really excited about some of those things. And the fact that we're still talking about it. Yeah. That's key. Yeah, yeah, and I appreciate you mentioning PrEP. I remember years ago uh, when you were uh, an advocate when that was in clinical trials. Um, Tony, before we go, can you weigh in on the gay blood ban that, that uh, has recently made some progress? A lot of people refer to it as a vestige from the early days of the HIV AIDS epidemic. Uh, do you see that as a sign of pro- uh, progress, the uh, gay blood ban that was uh, uh, where the rules of the road were recently rewritten? Sure. I think I, I think I think the more we live, the more we study, the more we know. Just like I think it's a, 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 a like, for instance, you couldn't ex- exactly if you were men or have sex with other men, you couldn't actually even donate blood. But I think we've come a long way. There's a way of checking all those things. And I think we, we, we have to just stay on and be progressive in terms of how we confront 
uh, the HIV crisis in our community. And so we must remember, it's still a crisis in our community. I still know a number of people that are living on the freeways and cars that are actually selling their medications, that are actually homeless, unhoused, that, that are going through a, a number of issues. And we can't re, re, we can't look at it from the, from the perspective of because the dominant society now has it under control, that it's all under control. We have, we have to stay on the front line and keep fighting, brother. And we, and we got to keep on moving. Don't stop. Uh, really appreciate you, Tony Wayford, uh, the president of the I Choose Life Health and Wellness Center and a good brother. We appreciate all the work you continue to do. God bless you and see you soon. I love you, man. Keep pushing. All right. All right. Amen. Well, that and, was and great. And a comedian, too. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what I, the, the takeaway here, I love um, different doesn't mean deficient. That's right. Absolutely love that. And, and, and the push and how he was able to really um, um, marriage um, what he thought versus what was and how he was able to really, you know, implement those beliefs to make a change. A lot of times, you know, we're scared of what is different or what is unfamiliar, but I love how he, he did a deep dive and, and came out on the other side of this thing and said, hey, this is, these are my folks. Yeah. Let, well, me, let well, me get into some good trouble. Well, one thing I know about Tony Wafer, he ain't never scared. <laughs> <laughs> all right, coming up, a major recall coming down from the FDA. That's right, we'll tell you all the products you need to watch out for when we return. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Welcome back to The Black Report, your daily source for news, views, and opinions. Long COVID occurs when patients who were infected with the COVID-19 virus have lingering symptoms for more than four weeks after recovering. In some cases, these symptoms can persist for months or even years. So now doctors and advocates are warning the black community that uh, we are facing another barrier. That's access to long COVID care. Now, according to data from a recent U.S. Census Bureau survey, 28.7% percent of black respondents said they currently have or have had long COVID. Data also shows 34.6 percent of black Americans with long COVID report severe limitations on their ability to perform day-to-day -day activities. To close the racial gap in long COVID care, a member of Johns Hopkins post-acute COVID-19 team recommends more regular implicit bias tra training among doctors and more telemedicine uh, so patients can access specialized clinics. And I think that's the story uh, missing, you know, now that we're quote unquote beyond the uh, pandemic, even during the pandemic, there was never a lot of follow up and talk about how folks were still suffering from the damage that COVID-19 had done to their bodies, especially those who had COVID-19 prior to any sort of uh, vaccination or any sort of uh, pill. And, and, and here we are a year or two and, and folks are still suffering from kidney damage, um, lung damage, shorter breath. And uh, I, I feel like we We've just, you know, forgotten that this is still a thing and people are still suffering. And as the report indicated, it's affecting their day to day. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we also forgot forgot who's on the front lines mm -hmm. of 
uh, a lot of this work. We know that black folks make up about 15% uh, of the U.S. workforce, but about 30% of bus drivers and 20% of food service workers. And so, you know, we are on the front lines of this thing. COVID-19 certainly has not gone away, you know, but we have found a way and we're still finding a way to live with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but the problem is, you know, that when it comes to long COVID, we don't have mm -hmm. the access to care. We don't, mm -hmm. we still don't have the quality insurance mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to, to aid us in addressing some of those, those symptoms. And then don't forget the distrust that still exists between black communities and the medical community. Community. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still a lot of black folks, and you reference this a lot, yeah. uh, that are not believed when we say we're That's experiencing right. pain That's or discomfort. Right. And so these factors and so many more are playing an outsized mm -hmm. role in the effect of long COVID on our community. Yeah. Or the idea that, you know, COVID was so scary for so long. The bottom of 2019, the very top of 2020 before the pandemic was declared, a lot of people, you know, may have very well had COVID, didn't know what it was, and may be suffering some long-term effects and, and have never really pinpointed, um, you know, by way of a proper diagnosis that they had COVID. So there's really no starting point for, you know, their medical professionals to, to go forth with what could be wrong as a fallout. So that it, that remains very scary. I know a lot of people who were very, very sick at the end of 2019, top of 2020, uh, and they believe that that possibly was COVID and, and they could be suffering some long-term effects. Very scary still. Well, speaking of scary stuff and, and uh, long-term effects, uh, the Food and Drug Administration is announcing that it will restrict imports of products manufactured by an Indian healthcare firm after claims that the eye drops linked to an outbreak of extensively drug-resistant bacteria across the country. Mm. Global Pharma Healthcare Private Limited produces artificial tears that are sold under the brand names of Ezracare or Delsam Pharma, which are now all being recalled. The regulator's warning comes a day after the CDC issued a healthcare alert to doctors around the country over an unprecedented outbreak of Pseudonymus uh, arginosa that had sickened at least 55 people across a dozen states. Now, the bacteria in the outbreak has taken hold in a range of different parts of the body around uh, for patients in the outbreak, ranging from respiratory infections to urinary tract infections. Oh, and so, so scary. Uh, this is uh, nothing to play with. Right, speaking of recalls, the FDA is also recalling hundreds of ready-to-eat food products due to potential listeria contamination. All of the recalled products will have a fresh creative cuisine label or an identifier with the fresh creative cuisine name on the bottom of the label. The FDA also noted that the recalled products have a fresh through or sell by date from January 31st through February the 6th. Now the list of more than 400 food products affected by the recall includes sandwiches, salads, snacks, yogurt, and wraps that were sold in retail locations, uh, vending machines, and by transportation providers. The Cordelite, it just makes me not want to eat anything, not want to touch anything, not want to use anything. I mean, we trust these, these, these uh, uh, policy makers, these regulators um, to watch after us. Um, I know sometimes things happen, but this seems to be happening, you know, at a real high regular rate, and it's very, very scary. It is very scary, but we also got to embrace the power of information, and I'm just mm -hmm. so glad that we get to deliver this, this information to our soulmates so that you all are keeping yourself safe, you're keeping your family safe. Knowing is uh, half the battle, uh, and so at, at least we live in a time where we have a government that 
that reports this stuff in real time mm-hmm. um, so that more people don't get sick and more people aren't the, you know, the victims of, of uh, these recall mm-hmm. uh, uh, bacterias, uh, et cetera. But you know, it is scary stuff. It, 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 you know, one of my goals as I'm, as I'm scooting up on 40 <laughs> oh, years <you're> old <laughs> uh, is you know, to, to incorporate a diet that's at least 40% plant-based. That's uh-huh. my 40-year-old my uh, goal. But here's the thing. Uh, but, it, this is, but this is part of it. It's because you know, I think you know, there's, there are a lot of issues in our food system, uh, and I, I think it might suit us well to diversify our consumption um, you know, so that uh, you know, when recalls like this happen, you know, we're not personally or our families aren't uh, as much at risk. Yeah, well, I was going to say that you know, that's nice that you, know, you want to move into more plant-based, but there's even been issues with you know, you know, plant-based foods and, and just the contamination and the carelessness and the recklessness when, when these outbreaks fall on that side. That's what I'm very concerned with. You know? And I think it's all kind of rooted in, in, in greed and, and, and trying to make more and, and forgetting that you know, us humans, soulmates, are, you know, are being put at risk by these oversights. So that's where my concern comes in. And I appreciate you mentioning that because genetically modified organisms, GMOs, um, that's not the kind of plant-based I'm talking about, right? You know, but you're, you're right. Some of that stuff is good, though. And, but and some of it ain't so good. You know what ain't so good? What's, what's What happened to this, this, uh, this woman in Florida, a Florida woman who is suing a credit union for racial discrimination after getting arrested and what's being referred to as another case of banking while black. Mm. The matter got out of hand when retired teacher Linda Stevens, 70 years old, y'all, entered the Mid-Florida Credit Union and and Bartow in April 2021 to inquire about a $600 ATM deposit. Now, the financial institution is the subject of a civil lawsuit reportedly brought by renowned civil rights lawyer Ben Crump. Now, according to the lawsuit, Stevens became visibly distraught and concerned about her $600 when it still hadn't been posted the next day after two additional visits to the bank. Mm. Listen to this, Courtney. The branch manager demanded that an irate Stevens calm down, then proceeded to call the police. Two police officers arrived, and Stevens allegedly claimed law enforcement was here to shoot her and tase her. Yeah, I was reading over this, boiled my skin. We're talking about a retired school teacher. We don't pay teachers enough in the first place. She's probably counting all her pennies like most of us soulmates are, as we've been poor folks are living, you know, check to check. She'd been in the bank twice. And so, you know, if she raised up a little bit because nobody could give her answers, you know, after two days, she made a deposit and she wanted to know what's happening. I don't really know how ATM deposits work. I know back in the day they used to manually pull and count. I don't know how they do it now. But after two days, and this is not showing up on her ledger, I I'd raise up a bit and, and, and I'd like to go out on a ledge and say that, you know, the irate wasn't as irate as irate could be, but for it to be read that way after she was absolutely concerned about her money, I think management might have overstepped. Yeah. And, and I hope that wasn't the case where they were thinking about tasing this woman and, 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 and you know, taking her into custody and cuffing her and things of that nature. Well, it doesn't just sound like management overreacted. It sounds like police overreacted. The lawsuit asserted that after a brief interval, a different officer rushed into the office Ridiculous. brandishing his weapon and saying he believed the voice on the phone mentioned someone was carrying a gun. And so that kind of misinformation is the stuff that... It's that, deadly. That, that is deadly. It's deadly. Right? And, and so banking while black is a real thing. This is a, a real case, and we're going to continue to keep our Absolutely. eye on it. Absolutely. Get this woman her money. 
Yeah, well still ahead, we'll have uh, more from experts on this National Black HIV Awareness Day. Yes, yeah, see Virginia Fields is gonna join us live to talk more about action, activism, and treatment. We'll be right back, you're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back, Soulmates. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon or evening, depending where you're watching. If you just happen to be joining us, let's run back some of today's top stories. All eyes are on D.C. as President Biden prepares for his State of the Union address for the second time in his presidency. But it's the guests who are expected to be in attendance that's also making headlines. The parents of Tyree Nichols, the 29-year-old man who died after being beaten by Memphis police during a traffic stop, will be in attendance. Sitting in the First Lady's box, Representative Cori Bush of Missouri invited Michael Brown Sr., the father of a teenager who was shot and killed by a police officer in Missouri back in 2014. And the family of George Floyd is also expected to be in attendance this evening. All right, to Miami, where black leaders are apologizing to Florida governor, Republican governor, that is, Ron DeSantis, after one of its members called him a racist. Pierre Rutledge, chair of the Miami-Dade Police Affairs Advisory Board, issued a statement on behalf of his board that apologized apologized to DeSantis for a comment made at their meeting from a member who said, quote, our governor is a racist. The accusations of racism against DeSantis came as the board criticized the governor's rejection of an African-American history advanced placement course due to content about Black Lives Matters. Uh, and other issues. And the FBI has two people in custody, one being a nationally known neo-Nazi leader before they could launch an attack on Baltimore's power grid. Officials say 27-year-old Brandon Russell met Sarah uh, Clendaniel uh, online while serving early earlier prison sentences included in the document outlining the case against Russell. Federal prosecutors provided this picture they believe to be a uh, Clendaniel dressed in tactical gear containing a swastika, carrying a rifle and wearing a pistol. And lastly here, to Nashville, Tennessee, there's a controversial bill that would uh, rename part of a road honoring the late civil rights pioneer and politician, our hero, John Lewis. Back in July 2021, the city officially dedicated uh, the road after uh, John Lewis, who spent his college years at American Baptist College and Fisk University. Uh, but there's a new effort to rename a portion of the street after former President Donald Trump, we will keep our eye on this story. Nick Quarter Live, back to you. Thank you, Courtney. Now, today, February 7th, is National HIV AIDS Awareness Day, which was first observed in 1999. NBHAAD is planned by the Strategic Leadership Council each year, and this observance is a day to acknowledge how HIV disproportionately affects black people. Now, black communities have made great progress in reducing HIV, yet racism, discrimination, and mistrust in the healthcare system may affect whether black people seek or receive HIV prevention services. And Courtney, you're with someone who knows all about the progress made. I am uh, Nikordalai. As you, you just mentioned, today is uh, Black AIDS and HIV Day, and uh, we have made great progress in reducing HIV racism, discrimination, and mistrust in the healthcare system. Uh, these things continue to affect whether Black people seek or receive HIV prevention services. So, joining us now to further the conversation 
conversation is C. Virginia Fields of the National Black Leadership Commission on AIDS uh, in New York. And uh, we want to welcome you, Ms. Fields, to The Black Report. We just heard from uh, your colleague and good friend uh, and comedian, uh, Tony Wayford. <laughs> so it's good to have you join us as well. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm delighted to join you. And I just have to say in your first segment, the story out of Florida and the one out of Tennessee, that is absolutely outrageous. And I agree with your comments on it. Thank so, you so much. Said, absolutely asinine. And this is this is what we do here at uh, Fox Souls Black Report. And we are just honored to have you here. So let's start with you telling us um, what you think about the current state of HIV AIDS in the black community in particular and, and the role uh, of the National Black HIV AIDS Awareness Day um, in dealing with this particular problem, Ms. Fields. I see it as sort of a good news, bad news scenario. Good news that we are still raising awareness. Bad news that after more than three decades, we are still having to raise the awareness and that Blacks are, remain disproportionately impacted by this disease. You're absolutely correct. We made progress from antiretroviral treatment to reduction of eliminating the transfer of HIV from mother to child to pre-exposure prophylactics and the first national HIV AIDS strategy that was put in place by President Obama. But we are still disproportionately impacted. Mm -hmm. Black folks, mm -hmm. black women among all women have the highest rate. So while there has work has been done, there's much work to do. And my organization, the National Black Leadership Commission on Health, known as Black Health, our focus really is on education, advocacy, and policy, because we have to continue to provide these resources in our own community on the ground in order to bring about some of the changes that we are seeking. Yeah, talk a little bit about Ms. Fields. You, you just talked about what the organization uh, has been doing, is doing, and will continue to do. Talk a little bit uh, significantly about the uh, challenges in the Southern region where we know uh, things have been pretty difficult when it comes to this movement. It continue to be challenging because first of all, for the most part in our Southern states, the governors have not accepted the Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. And through that, it would have allowed many more people, especially black people, mm -hmm. to have access mm -hmm. to healthcare and to the services and to PrEP. PrEP pre-exposure prophylactic is really making a difference in terms of the numbers, but blacks are very low in accessing it. Number one, mm -hmm. the cost. They're doing some, making some traction in terms of reducing that. Number two, the information. There's not information at local federally qualified health centers. There's not information on college campuses, HBCUs, mm -hmm. where black people receive our information in our barbershops, in our beauty salons, nail salons, places where we go. We don't see commercials there advertising this. So, the, you know, blacks are not really accessing or as in, you know, involved in taking prep as others are. 
Indeed, so we are so excited about you being so on fire and, and bringing us this message. And, and as we close out today, there's so much to talk about, but so we'll have to have you back now that you're an official soulmate. But as we close out today, how's the perception and understanding of AIDS? How, in your opinion, has it changed over the years, both in terms of public awareness and, and things like medical advancements? And how has this um, you know, evolution impacted efforts to continue to fight and combat uh, the spread of this particular disease. Again, uh, as far as a lot of the work in terms of uh, treatment and prevention and care, we have seen significant gains. But as it relates to the black community, we still lack the resources because even under the national HIV strategy, one of the important points was that the resources were to go into the communities of greatest need based on the data that certainly should have been the black community, but we're not seeing that to the extent that we should. So there's much work to do that. Continuing resources so that organizations say like mine mm -hmm. will be able to do mm -hmm. the education, to go out there and make, uh, you know, carry the stories and make the information and get the resources. But they are drying up. We do not see the funding to the extent that is needed there. And after COVID, when everything was, you know, locked down and mm -hmm. people were not getting tested, mm -hmm. all of that now is like we're having to revisit and do differently. So much uh, to to address, so much to cover. I wish we had, I wish we had more time. Again, we'll just have to have you back on as you continue uh, to to be an integral part of this movement, Miss uh, C. Virginia Fields. We appreciate you so very much, and and we thank you for being a part of Fox Soul's Black Report today and uh, we must have you back on. We appreciate you so very much. And thank you uh, for continuing to get into thank good you. trouble. We appreciate you. Thank you, love it. <laughs> <laughs>And here's what happened today in black history. In 1872, Mississippi's Alcorn A&M College opened and was the first black land grant college established in the United States. On this day in 1926, Carter G. Woodson creates Negro History Week. And in 1976, it became Black History Month. Comedian actor Chris Rock was born today in South Carolina in 1967. And today in 1974, the Caribbean nation of Grenada became independent from the United Kingdom. Imagine that. And in the year of 1991, Haiti's first democratically elected president, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, was sworn in. And those are a few things that happened today in black history. Now, during the 1950s and 60s, the civil rights movement challenged all forms of racial discrimination and segregation, and leaders in the movement made great strides for equality. However, perhaps the most troubling, unattained goal of the civil rights movement was bringing an end to police brutality and freeing black people from disproportionate amounts of police violence. Take a look back at several civil rights figures who've worked to make a change, including Shirley Chisholm, Angela Davis, Huey P. Newton, Malcolm X, James Baldwin, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., among so many other hidden figures uh, to be celebrated. Thank you all for the work that you've done. And we'll be right back with more Fox Souls Black Report. What an amazing collage there. It was really great. It leaves you speechless. It was great, it was great. Mic drop. <laughs> we'll be right back.
actor Idris Elba met with the Ghanaian president to pitch his plan for building a film studio in the West African country, my father's homeland. I love him. I love you. There's a lot to love. I love your dad, too. The memory of your dad, too. I love him, too. Elba sees the potential for major productions in Ghana, but cites a lack of resources as a hindrance. Now, he is calling for government support in Africa's film industry, citing successful models in South Africa and Europe. Elba plans to shoot part of a new movie in Ghana, starting pre-production in August and official filming in December. The project is a part of Elba's larger initiative to develop Africa's film industry following his roles in films such as Beast of No Nation and Mandela, Long Walk to Freedom. Alba also has plans to build a studio in Tanzania, and he has just elevated um, you know, the, the, you know, there's this, you know, of, of course he started as an actor and most of us saw him in the wire, um, but just the elevation and expansion. I mean, you know, he might pop up on my Spotify playlist because he's a, he's a DJ and he does a little rapping and what he does behind the camera, his philanthropy, along with his gorgeous wife. I'm just into Idris Elba. And now it's, it's, it's moved from, oh my God, heartthrob to come on, sir. I mean, just make, make this world a better place. We appreciate it. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, you know, what a rich legacy mm-hmm. he is building. Yeah. And, you know, just another reminder, you know, that, you know, black folks exist around the world mm-hmm. and, and that there are opportunities around the world to make black lives matter. And he's doing that in Ghana. He's doing that in Tanzania. He's doing that here in the United States. Mm-hmm. There's no limitation. Uh, to doing your part to making Black Lives Matter. And so what a powerful demonstration we see in Idris Elba and and so many others. I mean, we've talked about the work that Meek Mill's doing in places mm-hmm. like Ghana. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there, there are a number of celebrities, including Oprah Winfrey, who's been very active in her philanthropy, particularly uh, focused on women and girls in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And so we want to continue to make sure we're bringing you uh, these stories uh, to remind all of our soulmates to dream big. Yeah, and it, and it starts on the block. And I tell a lot of my mentees, it starts right, you know, to start right, right where you are. So with that in mind, it starts on the block. But I also try to uh, enlighten them and show them and expose to them that the world is bigger than the block. Both of you, uh, both of us come from families who we had folks who spoke different languages and have That's accents right. in our families. So we were a little, you know, familiar with that. But for, for some for some folks, especially the young people that I mentor, they just don't know what, what exists outside of their block or their community. So that's very important, more of a worldly perspective, especially with things being so global, with everything so global nowadays. They have to also tap into whatever else is going on mm-hmm. uh, in the world, really. And you really remind me of something one of my mentors once said, Willis Edwards, who was on the national board of the NAACP. He was a mentor to me and a number of other folks at the NAACP chapter on the campus of USC. Mm-hmm. And one thing that he taught us, an organizing principle he taught us that still sticks with me, do what you can from where you are hmm. with what you have. And folks like Idris Elba and Oprah and ordinary folks across the country and around the world are doing exactly that to make black, li- black lives matter. And so we love to see it. You know what else we love to see? Hmm. Golden State Warriors superstar Steph Curry, but he may be missing significant court time after suffering an injury in the team's win over the Dallas Mavericks on Saturday. Curry left the game in the third quarter with a knee injury after colliding with a Mavericks player, an MRI confirmed partial tears to his superior 
uh, tibiofibular uh, ligaments. You better say it. Uh, and uh, a membrane and a contusion <laughs> to his lower leg, all those things yeah. that uh, medical professionals know much better than I do. Uh, the team announced that Curry will miss Monday's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, the return timeline will be announced in the coming days. Now, Coach Steve Kerr says that Curry will be out for a bit, but will come back this season. And so, fingers crossed, yeah. hopefully sooner rather than later. Let's hope for the best. You sound like Dr. Corte, MD. <laughs> Very nice. I'm a different kind of doctor, <laughs> okay. not that doctor. Don't let's, get me caught up. Let's move on to the NASCAR world as uh, Bubba Wallace supports Ryan Vargas after online criticism. The 22-year-old Hispanic driver faced criticism after announcing his NASCAR Xfinity and Truck Series participation. He was born with craniosynthosis. Uh, he responded to the hate on Twitter and then Wallace retweeted and told Vargas to quote, forget them. Bubba Wallace leads the way as the first black driver to take the lead in a Daytona 500 lap. Despite facing discrimination, he received, he received praise from Dale Earnhardt Jr. for speaking out on important social issues in the world of NASCAR. With support from Wallace and others, Vargas is a two-time winner of the Wendell Scott Trailblazer Award with 67 Xfinity uh, Series races. All right, Courtney, Bacardi and Jay-Z have ended their dispute over Ducey's valuation, reaching a long-term agreement to keep producing the popular cognac. Uh, Bacardi now owns a majority interest in Ducey instead of purchasing Jay-Z's 50% stake. The partnership, which began over a decade ago, has resulted in several awards for the cognac brand, including double gold at the 2021 San Francisco World Spirits Competition and 2022 Proof Awards. The disagreement started when Jay-Z's liquor company filed a lawsuit seeking access to Ducey's financial records. Court documents show the company was valued at $3 billion. Wow, if I do say so myself. Mm. All right, so maybe Chris Brown had a little bit too much do say uh, as he is now apologizing for his social media tirade. It was just a fit. After losing a Grammy Award, Brown was up for best R&B album. It went to uh, extraordinary musician Robert Glasper instead. He then posted on IG asking who in the you know what is Glasper. Later, the 33-year-old singer posted a screenshot of a DM to Glasper congratulating him for his win and apologizing. Brown said after he did his research, he thinks Glasper is amazing. Let me tell you something. You know, I'm, I'm a music aficionado. Talk about instrumentation, musicality, uh, instrumentation, and all of the uh, collaborations and his body of work. Robert Glasper is, is one of the top of, of, of my generation. Five Grammys, 11 nominations, over eight categories you know, in, in the Grammys. He's not just a, a one uh, pony show, if you will. Uh, he's worked with your fave, Kendrick Lamar, Anderson Pac, my new boyfriend, I love him. <laughs> um, my girl, Lettucey, Layla, uh, uh, common and you know Twitter kind of went went nuts on on Chris for saying what he said and one of the comments that that I really appreciated in regards to Chris Brown's uh, temper tantrum he said this this Twitter tweet said uh, it's an example of when you grow
grow old, but never grow up. So I hope Chris has really learned his lesson. I hope that apology is sincere. Get it together, Chris. I we love you, but you got to keep it and get it, get it and keep it together, sir. Uh, get it and keep it together. <laughs> I want to double click on that. And it's also a cautionary tale that reminds us, think before you pose. Mm. You know, he was clearly all up in his feelings uh, because he didn't win. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, we can't let the hateration um, become contagious, you know, and, and, and take to the digital world. And, you know, what, um, what a sure way to attempt to dampen uh, the moment that Robert was ha ha having. Uh, but it seems like Robert and his team weren't playing, paying Chris Brown no. any attention. Mm -hmm. they, weren't, they weren't giving him any attention. Um, and uh, it seems like Chris Brown came to his attention. But folks, think before you post. You don't want to dampen somebody's moment. Indeed. Because somebody just might do it to you. All right. Up next, more black excellence inside of the pageant world. That's right. We'll introduce you to Ms. Wheelchair USA 2023. When we return, you're watching Fox News Black Report. Welcome back, Soulmate. So we've got to tell you about the story of a black woman from Prince George County, Maryland, who's making history by winning first place in the Ms. Wheelchair 2023 pageant. Oh yeah, it's the real deal here. Chandra Smith, a 35-year-old engineer, defeated two other contestants in the statewide competition and will now move on to the Miss Wheelchair America. That's a nationwide competition with nearly 35 contestants from different states. Smith says she was very humbled and that she'll definitely make sure everyone knows that when things are made accessible for those with disabilities, the whole community benefits. That's right, Smith's win came about a year ago since she became a triple amputee mm -hmm. and sepsis survivor. Even after losing her left hand, right leg, and had more than 10 surgeries on her left leg, she said that she didn't lose hope and continues to fight. She also wanted to use her talent and skills to bring change and make a difference. Mm. All right, let's move on to a woman's day of relaxation is interrupted, Nikola, in the best way by winning $100,000 in the lottery. Oh my goodness gracious. 44-year-old Jamila McCaskill from Detroit won the lottery prize after deciding to take time off to relax from a tough day and played the diamond payout game on the lottery app downloaded on her phone. On her second spin, the screen lit up and she knew that she won. <laughs> McCaskill says this is by far the largest prize she's ever won and it feels amazing, she I, said. I bet it does. McCaskill recently visited the lottery headquarters to collect her prize, which amounted to uh, just about $72,000. You know Uncle Sam is gonna get his piece, mm -hmm. honey. Uh, she plans on using her winnings towards paying off some bills and also paying uh, down the rest of her home. So congratulations. She just decided to take a day off of work, start playing on that lottery app thing and $100,000. I didn't huge. I didn't know that a lottery app existed. Oh, absolutely. Do you play the lottery app? Um, no. Uh -huh. But you can, but there's a lot of games on there. Yeah. Um, you can, um, you know, pick whether you like play a, I think it's a slot or you can do a scratch off kind of thing. Lots going on with that lottery app. And, and obviously people are winning like for real, for real. Well, that's, 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 nice that's real money. Change. She said, run me my check. That she sure did. And she and, got, but all... so did Uncle Sam. <laughs> so did Uncle Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm almost $30,000. Right, right. $72,000. That's something to snuff at. I think that was the biggest shock of my life when I had my first for real 
real for real job and I think I, I thought I was doing something this yeah. back in the early 90s I was making twenty five thousand dollars a year yeah. on the radio Chicago yeah. Yeah. and I thought that I was gonna get what I was gonna get uh -huh. and I didn't know that net was different than gross <laughs> I like to die I called my daddy like <laughs> I don't have no money. <laughs> he said, welcome to the real world. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Well, that's good to see. And it was also great to see Ms. Wheelchair yeah. of America. That was, that's a big I deal. I knew. I did not know something yeah. like that existed. But I love the, the focus, which is um, not on the physical, but, but on the difference you can still make. A triple amputee. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yes, we can. She personifies, yes, yeah. we can. And, and she's doing it. That's right. Well, we love to see it. It's been an honor to take you on a journey across black America. I'm Omni Cordelai Cortez. Oh, you can say the doctor. Gonna say it. Gonna say it. <laughs> I'm Dr. Nicordelai Cortez. And I'm not Dr. Courtney Hicks Lanier. <laughs> Until next time, y'all, stay lifted. Stay lifted. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? Doctor.